there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. Uh, this morning's reading is uh, from Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, um, out of the New International Version. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make into you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing and you will be a blessing. And I will bless you, and those, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Thank you, Tony. Tremendous verses, thanks so much. Good morning, good morning. It's December, it's Advent. And we're here together as a community who is looking to be a flourishing community of hope. I'm excited about that. I'm really looking forward to our conversation this morning. My name is Peter Scott. I serve as a senior pastor here. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Advent. Advent means coming. We're talking about the coming of the baby Jesus. This is a time of year where we look forward to Christmas. Uh, Well, we look forward to Christmas and of course there's plenty going on that that is a bit stressful about Christmas, but let's focus on the look forward for the moment, looking forward to Jesus coming. And Jesus came as a baby, lived a life, then died and was resurrected and on those events turn all of history, we could say that it changed everything. And that's the title of our series. As we go through Advent, we're talking about this event that changed absolutely everything. Now, when you think about Advent, when you think about this time of, well, Jesus is coming, I wonder what you think about. For me, it's the stories in Luke's Gospel. It's that Mary was visited by Gabriel. It's that Mary went to see cousin Elizabeth, who was also having a baby. It's, it's that journey uh, for the census of Joseph and Mary on the donkey, and you get to the inn, and there's, there's no room, and then there's a stable. And is, that, is that what you think about? That's what I think about. This is the leading up to Christmas, all of those events. Well, that's all in Luke's Gospel. And we thought we'd do something different this series, this year, as we look at Advent. We're going to look at Matthew's Gospel. So can I ask you to get your Bibles out, get your phones out or however you read the Bible. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to see how Matthew leads in to the birth of Jesus. Are you ready? So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, 
Hezron, the father of Ram. Now, if you're wondering, are we really going to read through this whole genealogy? Yes, we are. Isn't that exciting? It's Advent. We're in Matthew's gospel. Let's carry on. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Matthew's introduction is a big, long family tree. Some years ago, I got a wonderful gift from my nana. And I'm actually going to show you the gift. There it is. It's a little picture of some of my family tree. Very special. And if I was going to read you my genealogy, John was the, starting on the left, John was the father of James. James was the father of Alan. Alan was the father of Paul, the husband of Anne, of whom was born Peter, who is called Peter. <laughs> now, I love the fact that I've got these photos. I love the fact that I get to, get to see grandpa, dad and grandpa and great-grandpa, and, and there's a story behind them all, and what Nana did on the back of that, you can sort of see it's a, it's a picture frame. Uh, on the back of that picture frame, she's typed out some details, some details of these guys in my family tree. And here's what we learn. We learned that I'm definitely Australian. They're, they're all born in Australia. In fact, I hesitated whether I should share this. They're all born in Victoria. So I, I'm, I'm very Victorian as well, uh, back, back a number of generations. And I think that that tells you, <laughs> you're going to laugh about that, of course, uh, that tells you a little bit about the person. And, and the stories of these people in my genealogy tell us something about me. I can learn from my background. I also wondered, just, just standing there looking at great-great-grandpa John, I thought, I wonder if he ever thought about his great-great-grandchildren. I wonder if he ever pictured what it would be like for me and the rest of his great-great-grandchildren. You know, Matthew's Gospel looks forward to the coming of Jesus by giving this, us this long genealogy. And this, this Advent season, we're going to spend some time looking at 
a few of the characters, a few of the people in that list of Matthew's genealogy. Today we're going to start with Abraham. And we're going to see what we can learn about the story of Jesus and Jesus' coming. Just before we do that, though, uh, I wanted to make sure we touch on something else. If you've still got your Bible open, turn to Luke chapter 3. And here's what you find really interesting in Luke chapter 3. There's another genealogy. Don't worry, we're not going to read this one. There's another genealogy. It's longer. Thank you, Peter. Yes, we only read the short one. And it's different. Now, how is it different? Well, first of all, when we look at Luke's genealogy, it actually goes all the way back to Adam. Whereas Matthew just goes to Abraham. They're opposite ways round. Matthew starts with Abraham and works down through to Joseph and Jesus. Whereas Luke starts at that end and works all the way back up to Adam. Now those things are kind of understandable. The thing that's hardest to understand is that they're different from David through to Joseph. These two genealogies are different. Abraham to David, the same. David through to Joseph. They're different. Now, why is that? And I just wanted to spend a couple of minutes talking about that because I want to, when, when we talk from up here, we, we get to chat for half an hour or so, but we've got the whole week where we can go and read the Bible and I want to encourage us to be people who are intrigued and interested. So I'm not going to give you any answers. I'm just going to give you some thoughts about why these things are different and I hope that piques your interest because there are things in the Bible that are harder to understand. And that's where some of the depth and the rich of what God's doing in our lives can come and what he's saying to us. So, so let me give you four thoughts, four possible ways or, or ways that you can understand why they're different. The first one's this. Luke's genealogy could be Mary's line rather than Joseph's. So some people say when you read Luke's gospel, he may have had access directly to Mary, Jesus' mother, and been chatting to her. And that's where he gets a number of these stories from. And a lot, lot about Mary's early life. Matthew's genealogy could be, this is idea number two, Matthew's genealogy could be the royal line, whereas Luke's could be the biological line. Now, what does that mean? That means that Matthew traces the kings of the Jewish people. And Jesus was a king of the Jewish people. And, and it's tracing that line, whereas Luke perhaps traced the actual biological that's theory number two. Theory number three is that one of these lines is an adoptive line. In other words, Joseph had two dads. One sort of had adopted him. One was his biological father. And that works in with Levitical law because it was no problem to adopt somebody in. And the fourth idea is that Matthew and Luke wrote more from a theological perspective. They were trying to make a theological point. Matthew, for instance, is writing, he starts with Abraham because he is saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of a promise God made to Abraham. And that's actually what we're going to spend a bit of time on this morning. Whereas Luke, he wrote showing that Jesus came for all people. And he goes right back to Adam, the father of all people, and back to God. So there's four ideas for you as you perhaps soak on why are these genealogies in the Bible different? And this week, we're going to focus on the story of Abraham, as I said. Oh, I did have, have a note here. If you want to explore more about those genealogies, you can go and check out Ancestry.com, of course. I shouldn't have done that. Yep, cool. Um, right, we're focusing on Abraham. He was a great, great, great grandfather of Jesus. 
And Abraham's story is rich and varied and, and takes a lot of chapters. We did a series on it a couple of, maybe last year, I think we did a series on it. So I'm not going to go into all of Abraham's story, but I want to focus on two key points, two key parts. And the first one is this thing called the promise. Tony read it to us and I'm going to have it up on the screen there. This is a promise that God made to Abraham. And as we read through Genesis, here's what happens. We, we hear about God's big story. And God starts off saying, I created the world. We, we read in Genesis, God created the world and it was good. And then he created us. And it was very good. God created people and it was very good. But then unfortunately, in a tragic incident with a reptile and a piece of fruit, we fell. We chose not to be with God. We chose to be apart from him, not to obey him. And after that, we read about all this terrible behaviour that happened. We read about a flood. And then we read about people saying, actually, we do want to get back to God, but we're going to do it our way. And they build this thing called the Tower of Babel. And it says in the Bible, the idea there is we're going to reach to the heavens. We are going to reach up to God ourselves. And that's what's happened so far. But now God says, actually, no. I want to reconcile to you. I want you to be able to have a relationship with me, but let me show you my plan. And he goes to a guy called Abraham and he says to him, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's a promise to a man, nomadic herdsman thousands of years ago. And yet, it changed everything. Because God says all people on earth, all, it's a God-sized promise that God makes to Abraham. It's this promise that changed everything. This changes everything. Great slogan, isn't it? I, I thought this was an excellent title for our series. It's really, it's, it's absolutely what happened. And yet there's this little sceptical voice that's been watching reality TV that says, oh, I saw this last season. I know that it doesn't really change everything. It's just a little twist and then we're going to go to an advert. So I started thinking, okay, we're using this idea, this changes everything. And I'm going to propose that this promise of God to Abraham changed everything. And, and I thought, well... Does it really? Does it really? I, so, and then I was thinking, I'm Abraham. And God makes me this amazing promise. And the next morning I wake up and my hip's still sore from that rock. I still got to get up real early to milk the goats and the tent's flapping and I got to fix that so that Sarah can get off to sleep tomorrow night, tonight. And, and the, the herdsmen, they're all arguing and I've got rumours that there are raiders coming to take our sheep. Life went on. Did it really change everything? And I started thinking for me, well, here I am. I'm about to start preaching. Or, you know, when I was thinking about this and writing it, I'm working. I'm doing my job. I've got work going on. I'm uh, writing. I've got family stuff going on. We've got things at home to fix. Life's just going on. Does the promise of God really change everything? And I decided it does. I decided yes, 
for me, it does. Because there are things that I do differently in light of the hope of that promise. There are choices that I make each day that are different in light of the promise. I see things differently, even though on the surface I'm still doing the same, I'm still going to work. There's still family dynamics, there's still stuff to fix around the house, there's still problems and issues, but actually, subtly, everything's changed because of the promises God has made on a much deeper level, sometimes hard to perceive. Now, some of you will be going, ah, oh, yeah, I get that. Others of you are like, that is so wishy-washy. Give me a good example. All right, try this one. Today, right at this very moment, I have a friend who is in the midst of the Iron Man down at Bustleton. Now, if you don't know what an Ironman is, this is where you swim for a ridiculously long period of time. You run out of the water and jump on your bike for hours and hours and hours. And then you get off the bike and you run for miles and miles and miles. I think he started at, I don't know, 6 a.m. He's still going and will be going for quite some time. So how about this idea, though? I would suggest to you that the hope of the promise of the finish line changes everything. The hope of the idea that the pain will end, I think that changes everything. There's a promise that this thing is going to finish. And I think that as he goes through mile after mile after mile, everything changes because he knows he's got that promise. Now, of course, attention remains though, doesn't it? Even if you, you like that, uh, that analogy. There's still a tension because as he's going through mile after mile, there's a temptation to wonder, is it ever going to end? Is that promise real? As we go through our day to day, even though we've chosen to believe this promise, we know it changes everything. There'll be times where we just say, is this promise true? Is it ever going to come? And I think that's where Abraham got to because we read through Genesis and a couple of chapters after this promise, a couple of years or several years after the promise. Chapter 15, if you've got your Bibles open, verse 2, Abraham says to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Because I remain childless. And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham goes on, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him, and the Lord said, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. And verse 6 says that Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. What's God promising here? He's promising a son. A son who's going to bring about the promise. A son who's going to impact nations. And this is, this is the second part of the Abraham story I wanted to focus on. The first one's the promise. Part of the promise, the second bit, is the son that is promised. God says to Abraham, a son is coming who will change your life. So what happens next for Abraham? He has a son. Wonderful news, baby boy. Fantastic. You know his name. Chapter 16 of Genesis. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham gave the name Ishmael 
to the son she had born. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Ishmael. Born to Hagar, Abraham's wife's servant. We didn't read Ishmael in that genealogy, did we? See, Abraham knew about the promise, but he and his wife weren't conceiving, so they thought, we're going to make this promise come true our way. And they made it come true. And Abraham had his heir. He had a son he loved so much. And in fact, as you read Genesis, you see for 13 years, Abraham loved this boy. Abraham must have, I can only imagine Abraham would have thought, this is the heir, this is the young man, we'll go out and we'll do stuff together and we'll get up. And, and he's 13, he's a teenager. He's starting to teach him about being a man. Abraham would have been thinking, I'm sure this is my son, my own flesh and blood that God's promised will be the heir. But 13 years after that, we see this next conversation with God in chapter 17. And God comes along to Abraham and says, Abraham, I just want to confirm my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. It's going to involve lots of land. There's one minor catch. I want to explain this word circumcision. And at that point, I imagine Abraham's thinking, this changes everything. But God goes on. As for Sarai, your wife... You're no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Can you imagine? I think Abraham say, I thought, I thought this was the plan. I've got my heir, this boy that I love. For the last 13 years, I've been raising him. Surely this is the plan. God goes on. Your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant... I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. And so, Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and, and the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. This is the Advent story in a nutshell. God promises a son. He made this promise to Abraham. Abraham spent time looking forward to the arrival of a son who would meet this promise. The arrival of a son who would change everything. And even though Abraham went off course a few times, he tried to make things happen his own way, God steps back in and graciously says, no, 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 no. this is my plan. And that son did change everything. Through Isaac, everything was set in motion for the nation of Israel and for Jesus' coming. Ultimately, the line of succession culminated in Jesus being born. Now, if you do think, by the way, about that genealogy we talked about, isn't it interesting to think that the genealogy gets down to Joseph? But of course, Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. 
Mary married into Joseph's family. So legally, absolutely, Jesus was Joseph's son. But lest we get all caught up on those genealogies, the fact is that Jesus was born of God. And so the invitation for us, we're about to close, and, and the invitation, what's the point of this morning as you've been listening, you've been thinking, you've been following this amazing promise that God made so long ago and that it culminates in Jesus? I believe the invitation is simply to believe. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed in the promise of a son to come, a son that would change his life, a son that would change everyone's life. And Hebrews tells us fascinatingly that Abraham was still living by faith when he died. You know, these promises to Abraham, they didn't come true in his lifetime. The full promise of descendants as numerous as the stars hadn't come true yet. He was still living by faith. The full promise of all people being blessed by Abraham, that hadn't come true yet. That came through Jesus. So the fulfilment of this amazing promise that we've read about this morning, in Jesus' genealogy, it came at Christmas when a baby was born. It came at Christmas when this baby called Jesus changed everything. Would you join me in praying this morning? Heavenly Father, it is astonishing to think of how you bless us. There's a beauty and complexity and a breadth in what you've done over thousands of years for us. A plan that began as a promise to one man and was fulfilled by Jesus that all of us, all people might be blessed. Thank you for this story of Abraham, for his life, for his faith. Thank you that it points us with anticipation to the coming of Jesus, the events of his life, his death, his resurrection, and the saving power that's available to us. And thank you that you graciously correct our course. When we doubt, when we try and grab your promises by our, on our own, thank you that you correct us graciously and show us your ways and your plans. Would you teach us to believe with all our hearts? Help us understand more that we might believe and follow your son. And thank you for this wonderful season as we look forward to celebrating his coming. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>